Hello, and welcome to the Quarter to Three podcast. I'm Jason McMaster, and I am joined by... Uh, Manreza. And unfortunately, Tom is not going to be with us this week. He is out of town on assignment doing something he will probably scoff at uh, eventually in public. So, uh, it's just us, and uh, so, yeah, that's good. You know, no fanciness this month. Um, but yes, Manrace is with us, and uh, your real name is Rob. Right. Yeah, Rob. All right. And uh, why don't you tell us what you do? Um, I work for NASA. Uh, I do site design and data visualization for a site called the Earth Observatory. Oh, okay. So it's not like you're actually launching anything in space. <laughs> no such luck. I've never actually seen a launch. Oh. And- even though I've worked there for 17 years. Wow, you've never seen a launch, huh? That sucks. Well, where do you live, then? I live just outside Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, it's, that's pretty far from Cape Canaveral. And it's pretty far from Vandenberg. Yeah. Which is the other place where there's launches. Yeah, yeah. So I can, uh, I guess, it, yeah, even if you squint, you're probably going to see that one. But there oh. is Wallops in Virginia, which has launches, but... uh. I still haven't seen one of those either. Oh, man. you got to get to a launch. I mean, I haven't ever seen one either. I mean, Denny Atkin, of course, has, but, you know. Not yeah, me. I heard that podcast. I was way envious, so. <laughs> yeah, he just likes talking about the space shuttles. Uh, Denny's, uh, Denny's all psyched about that. Um, but, yeah, no, it has to be a really cool experience. So, I mean, do you get to play with, like, cool toys there, though? Uh, mostly cool data. Um, oh, that works. So I do earth science research, or I do, it's more like communication stuff. Um, so like, uh, we call it public outreach, which is kind of a dumb name, but there's nothing better. Um, where basically NASA has a fleet of satellites that are studying the earth. So primarily for climate change studies, um, but also for things like urbanization. So they can study growth of cities and they can look at, um, crops, uh, so they can, uh, they've been doing some, re- not necessarily research, but prediction for famines in East Africa, which are actually pretty bad right now, and study flooding and things like that. Um, so my role is primarily to, to take the data and then make it understandable to people who aren't experts. Um, or another way of looking at it is I just make pretty pictures. Well, that's cool. I mean, you know, one way or another. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, like, uh, you you're, you study... Yeah, urban. Uh, yeah, that, that's really it's really fascinating stuff. Uh, so, have you guys? Uh, you guys are, of course, like. Uh, well, what's your latest big project that you've worked on? Uh, the latest thing I'm working on is um, there's what's called a field campaign, which is where a bunch of scientists will actually go into the field, and will bring instruments to to make more direct measurements instead of the satellite measurements. Sure. Um, and it's called Ice Bridge, and they're actually in Antarctica right now, or in uh, way southern Chile, like all the way down at the very end of South America. And they'll fly aircraft over the Antarctic Peninsula and the Antarctic coastline and make measurements from the aircraft. Um, so I, I just did an article about the research they're doing. So they're looking at, like, uh, it's primarily designed to look at changes in the ice sheets. Um, basically, as the world is warming up, Uh, The ice sheets are melting, and that's one of the big uncertainties as far as the effects of climate change is how much of the ice sheets are going to melt, how fast are they going to melt. And 
you need to have these sort of very accurate repeated measurements. So I've been doing uh, some of it is just again it's pretty pictures like photographs of the aircraft and the hardware and the people in the field and the, the Antarctic coastline and stuff like that, which is really rugged and pretty and all snow covered, of course. Um, but then some of it is taking the data uh, from its raw format and then making pictures that sort of tell a story about what you're looking at and, and what the science is. Well, that's uh, that's really cool. I mean, I'm sure it's probably kind of horrifying at the same time in certain ways. <laughs> yeah, you know, the longer-term stuff, you sort of – it's hard to really get a grasp on and the sure. large-scale stuff. The horrifying stuff is more like the flooding. Like, I, I don't know if you're aware, Thailand right now is having really severe flooding, and uh, to the extent where hard drive factories, the Western Digital hard drive factory is, is flooded. Um, so apparently hard drive prices dropped, jumped like 20 or 30% over the past couple of weeks. Oh, um, so we have some imagery that shows that, and that's sort of more concrete. I don't sure. know if that's a good way of saying it. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I guess you guys get to see a lot of uh, natural disasters from very high up. Yeah. <laughs> the volcanoes are cool. Oh, yeah. Flooding is scarier, but the volcanoes are really cool because you can see, um, you know, you're not just looking at visible light, so it's not just like a camera. You can also see infrared and oh, thermal wow. data and things like that, so you can see, like, the, the glow, basically the glowing vent and the lava flows and stuff like that. So that's, it's really fun when we get that sort of thing, oh, uh, especially if it's really remote. Like, you know, if it was something in the U.S., there'd be people crawling all over it. Sure. But there's stuff that's like in – actually, there's one in, in – Chile right now, that's further north than where the research is going on, um, and one in Eritrea, which is a country on the Red Sea uh, adjacent to Ethiopia, okay. and there are literally no Western scientists, <laughs> so the only way to monitor the volcano is is from orbit, so we were bringing in new information, even though we're, we're doing it for you know education instead of actually doing science, but we were sort of driving... You know, getting the satellite targeted at it, you know, so that you get you got to point it to take the picture sometimes, and and that sort of thing. And that was that was pretty exciting. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, have you guys ever seen anything just like absolutely crazy, or just uh, something like, absolutely crazy, or unexpected, um, or did you discover anything or anything? No. Um. I mean, I I'm sort of as I said, I'm not really doing any research, so right. it's more like. Thinking of new ways to display things so that, yeah, I don't know if you've ever heard a scientist talk, um, but they can be rather bland, <laughs> to put it kindly. Um, I mean, you have some scientists like, you know, Carl Sagan is the obvious example who has this really good way of explaining things that non specialists can understand. Um, but you have other people, you know, very high-profile scientists who only understand how to talk to other scientists. Oh, sure. Yeah, you um, run into that in the tech field too. Yes, <laughs> all the time. And it's the it's the exact same thing. I mean, it's the yeah. same people. They're just in a different field of expertise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, but we've we've done some pretty cool stuff. Um, the original iPhone, right? Uh, when you load, when you turned it on, it showed a picture of the globe. Right. That's something I did. Oh wow, that's pretty awesome. Um, and then there's a, a reasonably well-known picture of like the Earth at night. Where it's it's the blue background and then you can see all the cities sort of glowing. Yeah, I think uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I worked on that as well, um, which it, people have done it multiple times since. But I did one of the first versions of that that actually made it look more realistic. Oh. Uh, again, instead the scientists they just they showed the lights with with nothing else. It was just like black and white. 
Right. Um, and once you started adding in a little background, that makes it look more realistic and makes it look like, you know, a, a, I guess like a movie where you're actually using blue lights to sort of simulate night because night's actually sure. black, right? Right, yeah. Um, but we associate a dark blue tone with nighttime. So combining those two things um, to, to make it sort of a visceral or um, a verisimilitude, you know, where it, it's what you expect to see. Sure. Not necessarily what you actually would see. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's what your mind would want to see, really. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like matching my mind's eye picture is is the goal I'm after in a lot of cases. Oh, that's really cool. Um, what other stuff have you worked on like that? That's fascinating. Those are the two biggies. I guess the, the most recent thing that I've done that I thought was really cool was um, doing an image from what's called geostationary orbit which is directly over the equator, and the satellites are actually making one revolution every 24 hours, so they stay over the same spot of the Earth all the time. So most of the weather satellite imagery you see on TV is from those. So, you know, when you see, like, a storm progress, or you, it's like, oh, here's the six-hour satellite loop. That's what they're talking about. Okay. Um, but in this one, instead of taking a day's worth of images, I took... At noon, uh, actually, no, at 6 o'clock a.m. Uh, local time every day for an entire year. So what you get to see is how the relationship between the sun and the earth changes every day. Oh. And so you get the, the seasonal difference. So in northern hemisphere winter, the north pole is lit and the south pole is dark. And, you know, the, there's a, the terminator is angled across the surface of the earth. Right. And then as that gets closer and closer to the equinox, it gets closer and closer to the equator until it would be, you know, completely halfway split down the middle. And then as it got closer to northern hemisphere winter, southern hemisphere summer, you know, the, the southern hemisphere became lit and the northern, hem the northern hemisphere became less and less lit. And which is just an explanation of, you know, seasonality that sometimes is very hard for people to understand. The you know, if you just ask random people they're like oh you know the earth is closer to the sun in the summer and it's further away in the winter which of course makes no sense in the context right. of the, you get the opposite seasons in in the different hemispheres um so that that was pretty popular it was interesting to me because it was like it's data that had been out there forever but it hadn't really been shown in the same way um so if you go to earthobservatory.nasa.gov you know that's where most of my stuff gets put up um so that that's where that is. You know, I don't know if you've heard of the bad astronomer. He was somebody who sort of started trying to debunk the whole "we never landed on the moon" hoax. Right. Um, I, I don't know if you know about that, but they, oh. he's now a, a blogger for um, Discover, and he featured it, and that was kind of cool. Um, oh. We also do some like um, photographs from the International Space Station, and because it's solar maximum, I don't know if you knew that you could see aurora from like Georgia on Monday which is absolutely crazy. Oh, that's um, awesome. <laughs> but you can also, of course, see it from orbit. And, sure. Um, the astronauts have been getting sort of more sophisticated about how they take pictures, and they've been doing these time lapses where they will do a picture every second or every three seconds and just run it for, like, 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, so which are actually usually less than that because that would be a full orbit. But, you know, so you can see the, the Earth spooling out underneath you and you can see aurora, and you can see city lights, and you can see lightning, and it's just super, super cool. And, you know, with new cameras, you know, the, the new high-end digital cameras have really good low-level light response. Right. So you can take pictures of these things that, you know, really aren't that bright, 
um, at least not when you're a couple hundred miles away. But because they're like ISO 32,000 or 64,000 equivalent, uh, they're super, super high sensitivity, and you can just get these totally spectacular uh, animations, um, which are just so much fun to look at. And and especially when you're like the first person who's downloaded them and animated them, kind of that's kind of a it's kind of you get a kick out of that. Oh sure, yeah. Uh, this one that's uh, Midwestern USA at night with Aurora Borealis. Yeah, is that? Yeah, that's, that's really cool. That's yep. super cool. So is that something you'd seen before, or did you just look it up? No, I just looked at that right now. Yeah. It's really fascinating. That's it's beautiful. So, yeah, have you ever seen Aurora before? That's actually something that's totally gr- cool to see from the ground. Oh yeah, no, actually, uh, yeah, I've never seen Aurora Borealis now. Yeah, if you ever go to Alaska in the winter. Uh, it is totally worth doing, just sitting outside. I, yeah, I actually do want to go to Alaska one of these days. I'd like to see it. Seems like a beautiful place. Just very cold. Um, yeah, it's not that bad. I mean, you live in Ohio, right? So. Oh, well, yeah, sure. Kind of gets cold there sometimes. Yeah, yeah, we get, you know, we get around zero, et cetera, so. Yeah. Can't be that, that was in, bad, I guess. The, the one time I went to Alaska, Alaska was Fairbanks in March. And it would be like 45 or 50 during the day. Yeah. And then as soon as the sun set, it would just drop to oh, like sh- mid-teens <laughs> because there was, still, there was still feet of snow on the ground. Well, all right. Yeah. The earth's not taking in any heat for sure at that point. Right. <laughs> right. And, you know, it just – but, you know, it wasn't – you have good gear and it, it's no problem at all. You know, we were actually mountain biking at night through the snow, which was a blast. But oh, that's yeah, that does sound pretty cool. So, I mean, it's such a beautiful place. Right? Yeah, it really is. Um, well, all right, maybe we should jump on into our uh, stuff here. Uh, would you like to? So, uh, I'll give you a choice. Would you like to start with news or post? Um, why don't we start with news? Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, well, after you, sir. Okay. Well, I have two. Um, one of them's short, but I figured since Tom's not no. here, we indulge. Yeah, that's fine. Sure. Um, the first one is that Pinball FX2 is releasing their Paranormal Table yes. on the Xbox 360 for free. Yes, that came out yesterday, and it goes through the Halloween. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So awesome. if you are listening to this podcast on time, you can get a free table. And it is well worth it. I mean, yeah. I, I know Tom and you have waxed uh, enthusiastic about Pinball FX uh, <laughs> time after time after time, and uh, it really is fun. I have I don't have all the tables yet, but I'm I'm getting there. Oh um, yeah, yeah. It's some it's yeah you know, it's a good thing to work up to. It's not it's not like uh, some of those tables are god awful too. To be honest with you. Oh, the extreme table I despise. Extreme is like one of the worst tables uh, ever. Uh, I can't imagine. Anyone enjoying it? <laughs> yeah, and it, it you, like my score is like two point five million or something. Yeah, yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> so, but one of the really cool things that I, about Pinball FX um, is it always seems to me like once you sort of start to learn a table, that it, when you finally lose your ball or whatever, or, or you know lose your three, it's, it seems like you always know what you could have done better. Yeah. So it's not like it's mysterious. Like, oh, I could have just hit that ramp instead or something like that. So Right, yeah. Uh, it really feels like you're building mastery on it, and it's not like a black box. 
And that's like, God, I'll tell you, my biggest problem is that game is like the dead zone uh, in the center of the flippers, because I hit that way too often. Yeah, do you ever shake the table? Some, you know, okay. I, I know it's good for that. I just, like, one of those things, I, I totally, like, have a freak out or something, and I just completely start I have buttons. I have no idea how to get it to work right. You know, I know, <laughs> okay, you know, the pinball wizard would be shaking the table and knocking the, you know. Oh, yeah. But, uh, I'm sure Fletcher does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I mean, I have so few friends on my net, uh, Xbox account that have oh. no idea what other people are capable of doing. Well, what's your Xbox Live username? Uh, it's, some. it's a Brutzy Ridge. A-B-R-U-Z-Z-I-R-I-D-G-E. Okay, okay. One more time. <laughs> a Brutzy Ridge. Um, A-B-R-U-Z-Z-I-R-I-D-G-E. Okay. No spaces. Okay. Yeah, this is the problem of when you buy an Xbox like four or five years into the life cycle and there oh, are three names. You I'll just tell you. Come up with something crazy. My name was Herky McMaster for a really long time. And reasoning for that was I, uh, when I bought my original Xbox and uh, signed up for Live, um, they didn't have McMaster available, which is what I used for most stuff. And, um, right. So it suggested two names to me. It suggested Herky McMaster, and it suggested Failed Panda. To this day, I regret not choosing Failed Panda. Yeah. I don't know why it would ever suggest that, but that was just awesome. It not- probably is just taking a dictionary and doing yep. a number generator and picking up two words that seem to go together. Yeah, that's. I mean, it would have to. I mean, otherwise, it knows my soul. Um but yeah, yeah, so people out there, if you like pinball, add Rob to your uh, friends list. And so he can get his wizard robes, for God's sakes. That's right. I'm only about a quarter of the way there so far. <laughs> Anyhow, what is your news item of the week? I suspect I know what it is, but oh. um, uh, Didn't you have a second one? Uh, I'll go after you. Okay, all right, fair enough. Uh, mine was uh, Richard Garriott won his court case. No, that's not what I thought yours was going to be. Okay. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, Richard Garriott awarded $32 million in NCSoft lawsuit. That's uh, a lot of cash. Yeah, he was only really suing for 24 so that's pretty interesting. Um, but he, uh, what had happened was uh, when he worked for NCSoft, they had given him stock, and he was promised that he wouldn't have to sell his stock before 2011, and they forced him to sell his stock when he left the company. So he was suing over that, and I guess the courts file found for him. And he was also selling his house. So there's another Richard Garriott uh, piece of, uh, uh, you know. Uh, you, in Austin. I'm pretty sure. I think he's building another house near it, but this one is his Britannia Manor 2. So so I think Mark 3 is on its way. <laughs> I have actually met Richard Garriott. Oh, yeah? I never met Richard. He's. Uh, I, I would love to because I, I was always a big fan of the Ultimate Games. Uh, yeah. But yeah and I, never met I did mention that to him, and he completely blew it off. But it's... Yeah, I'm sure... Well, we had we were actually on a panel together uh, because he was talking about his space flight, and I was talking about NASA's observation of the Earth That's cool. um, at a, a science conference in Chicago. Um, and and the person who had organized it took everybody out to lunch later, and I was like, "Oh, I played Ultima Four. It was really great." And he was like, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> yeah, that's great. I did too. I wrote it. 
<laughs> but he seemed very nice. Uh, he seems like a cool guy. He's just kind of a uber nerd. He's like, you know, going with, you know, the fact that his name, Richard, uh, Lord British comes from, I guess they were handing out nicknames uh, when he went to reform school, not reform school, military school or something. And uh, people thought he was British for some reason, so they named him Lord British. And he played a lot of D&D, so there you have it. Right. <laughs> the story of Richard Garriott. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so he won his uh, his big lawsuit, you know, good for him, and he's selling his fancy house. So if you would like to go, he actually has a Remax listing, uh, <laughs> which is awesome, because <laughs> it has like a million pictures of uh, his uh, crazy house and uh, all that stuff. And uh, it says, here we go, uh, Britannia Manor 2, the captivating and magical estate of Richard Garriott, a.k.a. Lord British, is seeking new stewardship. Now, it's not looking for a new owner, mind you. It's new steward. Situated high on a level 3.99 AC hilltop overlooking downtown and 3,000 AC preserve, this home offers amazing architectural details and intrigue, plus an off-the-grid energy realm. Features behind the Iron Gate include a 360-degree observatory with telescope atop the approximate 4,790-square-foot pool, grotto, waterfall, detached studio, separate guest quarters, an air-conditioned barn, which I I don't, I didn't know that was uh, normal or, well, even a feature, but lagoon and lighted track. So, yeah. A lighted track? Yeah, I guess. Not I'd, bad. Yeah, like. You know, the whole thing is that it's kind of a weird list of stuff here. Yeah, pool, grotto, waterfall, detached studio, barn, telescope, telescope. <laughs> but it's a nice looking place, and if you have four million dollars, it can be yours. Four point one million, it looks like actually. Yeah, four point one. But yeah. yeah, I bet he would take four. He might, depending on how the real estate market is in Austin these days. Actually, he might not take four after today since he just got $32 million. So. Yeah, he might not even have to sell. Yeah, he's, he's not that concerned probably. No. <laughs> All right, so what's your second news story? Okay, my second news story was an interview that Rob Zachney did with Roost developer Eugen with their upcoming game called War Game European Escalation, which is another one of these super generic names. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, but it, you had said that you did, never did play Roos? Uh, you know, I didn't, but I, uh, like I said, I saw it at E3. Uh, it looked cool, but, uh, yeah, that's more of Tom's wheelhouse. It's a shame he's not here because he loves those things. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting game. It's an RTS, but it's not fake, focused on economy so much. Right. Um, but it, it actually feels more like a real war game. So, like, you know, scouting and intelligence matters. In fact, one of the problems... At least one of the things I don't like about Roost is it's sort of built around these cards that you play that like will hide your units or, or launch a false attack or something right. that sort of dominate the gameplay. Um, but the new version that's coming out, it's it's based on the same engine, but it's it's more of a pure war game, and it's set in the late Cold War, which for somebody of my generation who sat in their room <laughs> all summer, you know, playing like NATO and Arab-Israeli wars and reading their books about uh, you know, military hardware and how great oh, yeah. the M1 was and things like that. You know, this is like the great underexploited war game, ter- you know, video game territory. Um, no, the Cold War? Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. it's, you know, it's always been, what, Vietnam, World War II, or lately, um, God, zombies. Or, or terrorism <laughs> stuff. Right, you know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. The Middle East. So, 
But this is, I mean, for me, it's the perfect war game because it's what I fantasized about growing up. I mean, Red Storm Rising, you know, things like that, all Tom Clancy stuff. Um, plus, there, it never actually happened, so you're, you're not bound by any actual history, right? Right. So it's it's sort of mystifying to me why nobody has, has done anything. But it just sounds like, you know, if you have this real-time system that has actually feels more like you're really a commander versus somebody who just needs to click a thousand times to, to get stuff done, like StarCraft or whatever. Right. Um, and also, I guess one of the really cool things that it does is... The units that you don't have line of sight on, you can you know they're there, but you know that they're either heavy units like a tank or a light unit like an infantry platoon, um, and then there's units that are completely hidden in, in forests and whatnot. Um, so like, but you can send recon units or a scouting plane or things like that to actually get ID. And I don't think you can use artillery against them until you can actually see them. Hmm. So there's a little bit more cat and mouse than in a standard real time strategy game. Right. Um, and, you know, just this whole potential for, you know, helicopters and uh, anti-take missiles and stuff that are actually not, maybe not treated realistically, but treated as a, as a unique unit. They're not just a unit with a bigger gun. Right. Um, uh, the, in, in Rob's interview, he's talked, the, the designer is saying that, you know, for a, a guided missile, the, the shooting unit actually needs to stay sit, stay in the same place and maintain a line of sight with the the unit they're firing at. So it just seems like it's going to add a whole bunch of this tactical depth, which just sounds really interesting. Um, you know, plus the, the setting is just like, you know, wet dream of my childhood. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so the red dawn action. Yes. Except like in, you know, the forests of Germany. Right. Right. Which is better than red dawn, man. Oh God. I yes. watched that again, like a few months ago. That was a huge mistake. Oh. I have never seen it. Wow. Yeah. Um, no, don't watch it now. <laughs> no, I read a deconstruction of it where they were talking about um, sort of its nihilistic and fascist overtones, or, or maybe explicit. You know, where like they have these suicidal freedom fighters who blow up their own citizens that were captured, or something like that. Yeah, that whole movie is ridiculous. Yeah. So it it's it seems rather disturbing and and maybe out of context. Twenty years after, twenty five years after it came out. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it just doesn't work. I mean, and the funny thing about that movie is it had so many stars in it. There was a lot of people in Red Dawn. Like who? Uh, like, oh God, what's his name? Uh, <laughs> Jesus, uh, I'm gonna. Uh, okay, uh, Patrick Swayze. That's it. Okay. Um, Leah Thompson, Charlie Sheen, uh, Jennifer Grey. Just all these like people that went on to like do so many things. I mean, not so much like Dancing Thompson with now. the Stars. Well, right. <laughs> or being crazy, Charlie yeah. Sheen. Yeah. Um, so, you know, hey. And Swayze's dead, so, wow. Unfortunately. Yeah, that was kind of crazy. Um, yeah, that's... Uh... Oh, and Harry Dean Stanton. You gotta like <laughs> Harry Dean Stanton. Repo Man. That's yeah. That's what I think of. Oh, God, I love, I love Repo Man. Um, it's a great movie, you're right. Oh, yeah. Um... Uh, but yeah, they, uh, <laughs> yeah, that movie does not stand up to the test of times. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess we'll be going to post. Uh, would you like to go first? Um, sure. Okay, I don't know if you're ever in the hardware thread, mm -hmm. but very seldom. Sometimes. X Apple guy makes a thermostat for idiots. That sounds awesome. 
Um, well, <laughs> let's see. It's by uh, Gus Medstad, and hopefully he won't be listening to this because it's going to be a little harsh. Um, it says, Google News pointed me at the Nest thermostat this morning. In design terms, it's an awfully sleek device like mounting an iPod on your wall. And he's got a picture. It's, it's a radio thermometer. Um, it's got an LCD display. Uh, I don't know. The classic Honeywell right. you know, that you turn, it sort of echoes that um, and echoes the iPod click wheel. Um, but and crossed with an iPhone. Um, and, the, and then uh, Gus goes on to say, the motivation behind this seems to be that most people are too stupid to program a thermostat, so they set their house temperature manually and probably don't do it enough. Um, in one respect, Fidel has a point. Programmable thermostats are extremely crude in their interface. I really don't enjoy messing with mine. It's not that it's particularly hard. It's just that it's clumsy and remarkably error-prone for such a simple task. Um, so... The thing that struck me about this is sort of the uh, the techie vitriol towards people who aren't willing to put up with bad user interfaces. Because <laughs> I, 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 along with the data visualization stuff, I also do a little bit of web design. I, I did more, but like once we got the site up and running, it was like that became less part of what I do. Right. Um, and there's a really influential book called The Design of Everyday Things by someone named Donald Norman. And a lot of technologically savvy people will sort of blame the user and call the blamer stupid or an idiot because they can't figure out this interface. And Norman makes the point that it's really the designer at fault. Sure. Um, and so, like, the classic example would be, um, you know, a, a sleek office building with the pure glass doors. And, you know, usually an office building will have the two sets. So there's the one leading to the outside and there's the one leading into the lobby. And you know what I'm talking about, where you, you just push on it, and then they actually swing both ways. Sure. But, of course, there's a pivot on one side, and the other side is the one that you're actually supposed to push on. And you get these architects who make the lobbies that are just complete glass, so you actually have no idea which side to push on. So a perfectly smart person could go and then just be stuck pushing the pivot point instead of the actual plate that they're supposed to be pushing, and literally not be able to get out of the lobby. Um, so it's more just it was curious that you've got this attitude that, oh, people really should be smart enough to program the thermostats as opposed to, wow, this is really cool. It's a device that's going to help people keep their homes at an appropriate temperature and save energy and all that sort of thing. Um, and, and I don't know. It just struck me as being sort of typical. Um, I mean, and I guess QT3 is definitely people who are technologically savvy, people who oh, yeah. have computers and stuff. Um, but I, I, I'm not really comfortable with that attitude that it's the user's fault. Well, um, no, usually it's, it has to be the designer's fault. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way it works. <laughs> so I'm not, I, I'm not affiliated with this company at all. I'm a total Apple fanboy, um, uh, partly because of that whole blue marble thing on the iPhone. Um, but it's, the thermostat's actually really cool because, It'll actually, it'll, you set it manually, like you would wake up in the morning and come down and then set it in the morning. And as you do that over time, it learns your behavior. That's pretty cool. So it'll, it'll automatically start to adapt to your rhythms. And apparently it's got like motion sensors and light sensors. So it knows when you're at home and it knows when you're not at home. Oh. Um, and, and we'll turn off. And of course, there's an app for it and it's wireless and you can do on the, go on the internet and set your temperature and stuff like that, which just seems like, a really, really interesting piece of technology, um, and the designer was talking about how it's it's sort of a, 
uh, it was actually low-hanging fruit where there hadn't been any advances in thermostat design in 30 years. You know, you had programmable thermostats, but uh, he there was a statistic that was like 89% of the people who have programmable thermostats don't use them. Um, so, again, just coming into this huge opportunity to make something that's easy to use um, and, and actually can make an impact as far as, uh, you know, I'm worried about climate change, obviously, because of what I do. Um, and this is something that has, you know, a small impact, but it does have an, an impact in reducing carbon emissions and saving people money and things like that. So I just thought it was a really cool piece of technology um, that had sort of a, not necessarily a surprising reaction, but a discouraging reaction from certain people who might otherwise really be excited about it. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, there, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of that around in, <laughs> in tech industry specifically, that the idea that, that the end user is an idiot. And a lot of times, I mean, sure, they, they might be. Yeah, but, I, I've run into end users who are idiots, but that doesn't mean that all end users are idiots. Right, and usually, a, yeah, absolutely, a failure in design is the biggest problem, and that's you now that's one of the first things you learn in web design, anyway. Absolutely, is that is that actually what you do? Know you know, you... we I do a lot of stuff, but I have done web design as well, and uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I always prefer the clean sites to the busy sites. Yeah, <laughs> yeah me too, definitely. Um, that's actually something that's really interesting where the sort of ubiquity of the web and the ease of developing content for it has really brought this whole idea of design and usability uh, so much more exposure than it would have had otherwise. Oh, sure. Um, like, I, I probably would not have any interest in design if it wasn't for the fact that I sort of landed at NASA right when the web was exploding and everybody wanted a website Uh, and you know it's like hey well how do i do this well and started looking into it oh yeah that's really cool no um but yeah no that's that's a really neat invention uh those guys yeah they hate those apple guys no interface yeah i mean that's the one thing it's like i'm not the biggest apple fan i like apple and but uh, I'm, you know, I'm more a PC guy, but I'll give them that. The interfaces are usually pretty nice. You know, even better than their interfaces, their hardware designs are great. Oh, um, well, I they're really to, slick. There's no doubt about that. I had to add memory to my um, uh, Mac, Mac Pro Yeah. a couple weeks ago. And, you know, on a PC, you might have to pull your graphics card out and, you know, screws yeah. on the whole deal. The smaller cases, yeah. And on a Mac Pro, you just open up the back, turn it over on its side, and the memory is all on a daughter card. Just pull the oh. daughter card out, and you drop the new memory in and drop it right back in. It's like less than five minutes without even looking at a manual or knowing what was in there or anything. You know, the last time I put memory in was three and a half years ago when I bought the machine or when work bought the machine. Right. Uh, and, you know, just pull it out, put it in and done and uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a Mac Pro but they've got there's like a a big plastic piece that goes over everything and like guides the airflow and everything um, so they're just so slick and well designed oh yeah that's one thing I, I did always like their hardware I, I wasn't a huge fan of the uh, iMac some of the like the pod one or whatever but um, right but I always liked like you know the G3s G4s and yep. uh, stuff like that always really slick PCs um, yeah the uh yeah, they they really do uh, make make nice hardware. I mean, it's kind of interesting they switched over to the different architecture, but it does make it cheaper. Well, 
Well, cheaper for them. <laughs> well, yeah, the Motorola and and IBM and the PowerPC were going nowhere. Um, it was oh, pretty yeah. obvious that they needed to switch over. Um, but it it was painful. Um, and and it can still be painful. Um, because uh, uh, actually, <laughs> this is a perfect example of NASA. They mandated using a particularly antivirus software. Yeah. So everybody's computer needed it installed. At the time this mandate came down, it was not Intel native, but probably well over 50% of people's Macs were Intel Macs. Okay. So you're running antivirus software, which is running all the time, which is checking every file you have all the time. Super slow, super annoying. It's just like, <laughs> what were they? You know, the, the people spe- specifying this, had given it no thought whatsoever of whether it was actually going to work for the, the oh, people yeah. who had Macs, and just absolutely crazy. So the transition from PowerPC to Intel was actually really rough. Yeah, you know, I was actually pretty fascinated by the PowerPC architecture, but nobody was working in it, and so it didn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, one of those technologies that's technologically better uh, in theory, right. but for a number of reasons, in practicality, uh, just wasn't as good. And unlike Betamax, it wasn't destroyed by porn, as far as we know. So. Mm, well, you, you never know. <laughs> probably not. Yeah, that's true. I don't think anybody at IBM porned themselves. Um, all right. So my post of the week is just something I'm a touch fascinated in. And it is uh, the Shadowrun... Uh, in a browser, the RPG. There is a, according to Razgon, who start who started this thread. So RPS had an interesting talk today with Cliffhanger, who let it slip last week. They are going to do a Shadowrun RPG, which is also browser based. I'm dying for a Shadowrun game that is fun, but I don't see how they can do it in a browser and add all the tactical options a game like this obviously requires. Um. And he goes on to quote the article in a few places. Um, and it does sound fascinating, but to that I will say that I believe browser technology can go do quite a bit nowadays. Um, I saw at E3 a Unity, I believe it was Unity game, browser game, uh, running a, uh, this uh, Star Wars-like tactical thing, or Star Trek tactical thing, and uh, it looked really nice. Uh, and uh, it was pretty full-featured, so I think a lot of stuff can be done in browsers, which is something I'm really actually looking forward to. But that's well, yeah, the way can, like, a lot of stuff's going now. You can definitely run a full 3D engine in a browser these days. Oh, yeah, no no doubt. So I, there, I don't have any real doubt that they can do it in a browser. It just depends on the skill of the developer, really, yeah. at that point. Yeah. So if I've never played Shadowrun, could you give a brief description of what the game is? Uh, you ever read a William Gibson novel? Uh, many, yeah. The, then you know what Shadowrun is. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's really, that's it. It's like cyberpunk. That's its okay. whole thing. You know, it's, the, it, it's a really, it's a, it's a really neat game, but it's so, certainly, yeah. When did it come out? God, maybe 20 years ago. Oh, jeez. Okay, that was probably in my black hole of not playing PC games. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, this is more of a role-playing game. Oh, um, like an actual like pen and paper, you but know, there I, think have... I saw the books at some point. Yeah. But... Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. Yeah. Uh, let's I... see. It came out publication first edition 1989. So 22. Okay. Years. So my first year in college. Okay. Fair enough. 
So yeah, the uh, Shadow Run, uh, man, twenty-two years. Good God. Yeah. Don't <laughs> <me>. <laughs> yeah. Please do not remind me. Um. So yeah, the uh, I, I'm really fascinated by what, like speaking of that though. I mean, you've probably dealt with this again, or, or at least looked at it. Uh, the new HTML and everything that's coming down that should be able to support uh, a much more full featured. Yeah, uh, I am getting further and further away from doing markup. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm well aware that HTML5 is coming, and actually I was just having a discussion with uh, my developer today about him recommending ways to learn it. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, what did, uh, he, what did he suggest? <laughs> um, there, there was a, a company that does it, and I'm completely blanking, blanking on the name. Um, that did these online courses where they would give you a, like a little coding problem and you would you would code up your solution. He said it was interesting because you coded one window and it would show your show your um, results in real time in another pane. That's cool. Um, and it would actually grade you and stuff like that. Um, oh, that's really cool. And I wish I remembered the name, <laughs> but I completely it, it's code something, but that obviously that's not particularly useful. Yeah, there's there's probably not too many code sites on the web. No, on the not web. At all. Yeah. No, I don't. I can't be. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm fascinated by what HTML5 is gonna do for I mean, for gaming in general, actually, and yep. just for the internet. But yeah, one of the really interesting things was I was saying, oh yeah, you know, I I can't start writing in HTML5 because you know there's still tons of people on IE7 and whatever that. We'll never see it. And he's like, oh, you know, I, you do realize I've installed some scripts on the server so that it automatically gets translated into HTML4 if somebody is looking at it in an uh, incompatible browser. And I was just kind of like, oh, okay, well. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, and just I remember in the beginning when, of course, nothing was compatible with anything else. And, oh, no. You know, trying to figure out how to get your CSS to work in. Internet Explorer of any stripe was just a complete nightmare. Internet Explorer is still irritating to this day. But I don't know. What can you do, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I try to ignore that. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 terrible. Um, all right, so, uh, hey, let's talk games of the week then, shall we? All right. Um, you know what? I'll, uh, I'll go first. Okay. My game of the week this week is one that I have not played... Very much, but I can't talk any more about Batman because it'll probably make me die. Because, well, I mean, I do love Batman, but uh, yeah, I, I think we've done enough Batman. Um, it is Battlefield 3. So, I've been playing Battlefield 3, and uh, I'm apparently terrible at it. <laughs> um, <laughs> the maps are really big, or at least a lot of them. And, uh, and while that's really cool, I don't know what's going on. So, so you're I'm, terrible at it, or you just haven't memorized it yet? Maybe I haven't memorized it yet, but man, I'm getting killed constantly. Um, I don't know what to do to fix this. <sighs> oh, I'm terrified of multiplayer, so I have no advice for you. Uh, well, that's all right. You know, I used to have that problem <laughs> until I, I just started muting everybody. That's, 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 that's how I control it. I just mute everyone. That's probably the way to do it. And I pretend that they're not actual people. I just I just pretend they're really good bots. So, you know, if I don't have to hear them tell me I suck, right. uh, then I don't know it. So there you have it. 
It's a pretty good strategy. So uh, are you uh, purely multiplayer in Battlefield 3? So far, yeah. I have not tried the single player because it has ha- not had the greatest reviews. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, I was more interested in seeing the, uh, you know, I, I, I've gone through enough single player first person shooter campaigns. I don't need to do any more. I mean, maybe I'll jump in there if there's like some cool destructible stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, but I really like, uh, I like that it has it. I like that it has co-op, um, though I tried to get into co-op. I, I didn't have any friends uh, on my Battlefield account at the time, so I I just randomed. One guy joined me. I think I walked like 15 paces, and then, and then I think he dropped and the game kicked me out. So that was, uh, that was unexciting. Um but the multiplayer itself, I mean, it's like, it's really neat. And you can, like, spawn, of course, on your, like, squad mates and uh, all that jazz. Uh, but just the maps are so huge. I mean, like, I ended up spawning at one of our captured points, and I was, like, walking for a couple of minutes because there were no vehicles around. And it's, you know, I heard combat. And uh, I believed it was happening, <laughs> but, but I had no involved in any of it. <laughs> right, right. I was, uh, I was maybe in the next county. Um, so there's no mini map or anything to sort of guide oh, you. Yeah, there's a mini map, but it's like it doesn't really. Uh, I haven't figured out how to how to really use anything properly either. I'm getting old, I think, at this point. It's it's you just get old. I don't think you can use that excuse yet. Oh man! All right. How old do you have to be to say you're getting old? Uh, based on recent experience, 40. Okay, God, <laughs> I'm a few years old. Hit that magic milestone, and then you can... You know, anything can be, oh, it's just because I'm old. Okay, I'll just blame it because on playing console games most of the time now, and I was trying to play on the PC. Oh, so you, you were trying it on the PC? Yeah. <laughs> um, what are your system specs, and is it running well? Yeah, it's running really well. Um, I have a quad-core. Um, it's actually kind of an older system now. Um, I, I have a nice video card. I have like a uh, uh, XFX 6970, um, mm-hmm. so that, that works out fine. Um, but my uh, the processor, let me see, it's a it's Q6700, so it's like a quad-266. Uh, I got four gigabytes of RAM. Uh, and uh, I'm running it off of a uh, a RAID zero array that I had oh. for recording. So I mean, it's like it runs really well. You know, I, I can't complain. Um, I, I did have my video card overheat though, uh, which was exciting. So I had to oh, kick, just start glitching. Yeah, I had to uh, I had to kick my fan up like uh, pretty high because yeah, it was like it started off looking fine, and then I noticed it started having like this weird distorted rolling look, like a television, and then yeah, it just start flashing green. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'm, I might want to check on that. Um, I'm sure you were glad when you actually got it working again. Oh yeah, yeah. Your was... first thought, oh my god, I've just fried my video card, and I'm oh yeah, and the best part have to is reinvest. That... Yeah, exactly, because I wouldn't be able to really return it because I flashed it, because it was one of the ones that you flashed, and I don't, I don't really have that flash anymore because it's been a while. So, Right. Yeah, so that would suck. But, um, but at least it's coming up on winter so that you know your house will be cooler and you'll exactly. be able to run your video card a little bit higher. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know everything else runs fine. It's just uh, I think Battlefield's just pretty rough. So have you had any games where you did have contact with the enemy and then exchange? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I usually get killed because, I don't know, it's 
the problem I'm having is that the maps are so large and everything's pretty realistic, so that it's like you know they're not lighting up like really, you know like every other video game basically or right. really obvious. So, you know, you're walking through a town and you just get shot like 60 times by snipers, you know. It's <laughs> ah, yes. So how, how are the weapons? And I, I don't know. I've never actually played a Battlefield game. So is it like more of a class-based shooter or? Yeah, yeah. You have four classes. Uh, and um, the big thing with the Battlefield games is uh, is progression, just like uh, Call of Duty. Um, you, you advance uh, experience-wise. And uh, unlock different stuff. Like, uh, as the medic, you unlock, you know, the ability to, like, revive people instead of just heal. And you unlock new weapons and things. But um, the four classes are, like, uh, Recon, which is the sniper. Assault, Mm -hmm. which uh, their bonus uh, is they have health as well, actually. Um, uh, our health packs. Um, there's the engineer, which is pretty cool. Lay mines, fix tanks, blow stuff up. Um, mm-hmm. And there's the uh, God. What did I say? Assault, recon, support. Oh, and yeah, medic, which yeah, okay. revive people stuff. So yeah, uh, you can switch, you know, between lives, whatever. But the the whole idea, of course, is yeah, you. Play to your your strengths, like uh, you know, a lot of a lot of games of Battlefield. There's like vehicles, there's tanks, and you know, jeeps, and all sorts of crazy crap. And um, uh, you know, if you're getting pounded by those, an engineer can be great because they carry rocket launchers, they carry you know, mines, etc. Or if you're in like a tank fight, you know, they can repair your tank, etc. Right. It's just it's really cool, and I, I love the concept of the game. I mean, it's a 64-player multiplayer game. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous. Uh, 64 per side or 64 total? Total. Yeah. So, yeah, 32 on 32. And um, the sheer size, I guess, is, is really the, the appeal of it. Because if you like playing a sniper, I mean, you can really lay out, like, you know, several right. hundred yards from everybody and, you know, be invisible. Until is, there any, is there any, like, commander role, or is it just... Everyone wandering around trying to make their you know, own decisions. There's not really a commander role, but uh, they do have squads, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Uh, as a as you know, a member of a squad, you can spawn on other squad members when you die. So yeah, that's like their way of getting you back into the battle fast. I mean, sometimes yeah. you're just shit out of luck. You're gonna have to run, <laughs> which which totally sucks. But but um, it, and it's interesting. I mean, you you can do little. You know, you can keep up with your your different squad mates and everything. And if you have a good squad, you can certainly do a lot of damage. Um, and you know, it's cool because you have you know you have your air combat too, which is something that you don't mm-hmm. really see in the other games. You got jets and uh, attack choppers. And have you been? Had have you tried flying yet? <laughs> Not in this one. No, I'm afraid of that. Now I've been in a few helicopters in this one. Uh, it's pretty fun uh, playing, you know, playing with the mounted machine guns. But, oh, uh, I can imagine. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, no, and of course, like this one also has like a limited sort of destruction where buildings can be destroyed. In, like, oh, that stuff. sounds great. It is pretty sweet. So does, does it actually modify the environment, or is it all just graphical? No, it modifies the environment. Okay. Like, uh, that was the big thing about Battlefield Bad Company 2, is you could destroy all the buildings and knock over the trees. And, like, yeah, the trees and stuff, you can roll through them with a tank, or if they get hit by shells, trees will fall and stuff. And Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> it's, it's certainly pretty cool. That sounds good. 
Yeah, um, you know, and I dig it. I'm just like, uh, I need to get better at it. I, I haven't played it enough, but uh, uh, one of these days, you know. Yeah, like we have enough time to game. Yeah, well, that's pretty... That's the sad part of growing up. <laughs> Unless you're Tom Chick and you can be a boy forever. That's right. He does seem to be doing very good at doing very well at that. Oh yeah, yeah. I only managed to support myself with gaming for a couple of years without having to do real man's work. <laughs> man's work. <laughs> yeah, and Troy Goodfellow did bite the dust on that relatively recently. Oh yes, Mr. PR Goodfellow. <laughs> that is right. Sell out. Yeah, Troy's a Troy's a good guy, but he he def he jumped the fence. There's no there's no uh, there's no accepting that. I'm gonna have to have him on this podcast and just probably should. Yeah, him and Tom Olay, both of them. (laughs) I I don't know Tom Olay, but um, Troy used to live in D.C. He actually lived in the next town over, um, so he would have. Three moves ahead meetups, and and I went. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. So you actually in person know Troy? I mean, I I have. Well, no. I, I mean, oh. I've met him at meetups. <laughs> so, but oh, yes, yeah. I, I very much enjoyed them and very much enjoyed meeting and talking to him. Yeah, he, um, yeah, he's a good guy. Um, I mean, he's a you know he's actually a little jackass, but you know we all pretend. Ah, uh, I have never had the experience. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I mean, I have, but no. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I should have him on the spot. Sure, he was on his best behavior. Oh yeah, Troy. Yeah. But maybe that was just because he had brought John Schaefer and uh, Bruce Garrick. Oh. He, he did bring some high-profile names in. Oh, Mr. Garrick. Did he operate on anybody? No, but he told really harrowing stories about people <laughs> under his care or under his, uh, I guess, units. Care. I don't I don't even know what your a subdivision of a hospital is c- called, but yeah, no. <laughs> whatever his group or – yeah. Uh, or- Unit yeah, or a uh, battalion or whatever. The yeah, hell it at NASA it's a laboratory, and and I don't think it's a lab in a hospital. So no, no, I don't think so. Uh, I own my own business. We haven't really decided yet what we call it. <laughs> the dance I think you should era. go with battalions. Battalion, <laughs> or some like French term that second battalion, oh, first platoon. <laughs> Yeah, no. If I, if I ever have that many people, I, I will arrange them into battalions. That would be excellent. Um, well, all right. Yeah, Battlefield Three is my game of the week, and uh, I'm going to keep playing it. Uh, I mean, you know, also I've played a considerable amount of Batman, but uh, I've also played a considerable amount of King of Dragon Pass and Paranormal and Pinball FX too. So you know, whatever. Yeah, I need to get spooled up on King of Dragon Pass because I've got a long flight coming up in a few weeks, and that. Oh, uh, have you played it yet? Uh, I downloaded it and made it, I, I don't even know if it was halfway or, you know, a couple years into the tutorial. Um, Man. And up again. <laughs> that it's, is an it's, addictive game. <laughs> cool. That that would sounds perfect. It just seems like it's got sort of a steep learning curve. You know, it does. I really don't know what the hell I'm doing in it most of the time, but I kill a lot of people, and I, but I lose a lot of cattle, you know? Okay. What the hell? No, I, I just get raided a lot, um, but no, it's... It's actually a really like genius iOS or like iOS game because mm-hmm. it's just perfect for it. You know, you don't really have to program a lot of graphics into right. it. You've got like these slides or whatever, and then your interface, and it's perfect. Yeah, I would really like to see a lot of games from that era ported onto iOS because it seems like you know, 1024 by 768 and below would work just perfectly. 
Yeah, no, I don't see why not. Yeah, I mean, some of them would be a huge pain in the ass, but it would still be cool. I mean, like, you could play maybe something like Baldur's Gate. That would be pretty great. Oh, yeah. You know? Um, I, I'm thinking of all the games that I missed. Oh, you man. know, like, uh, it, Troy always talks about imperialism, and imperialism, it's too, good how great they were. Um, and I hate to admit this, I've never played Master of Orion. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Well, I didn't, I didn't actually own a PC until 97, uh, well, yeah. Before then, I had been either Mac or Commodore 64 or Atari 2600. Right. Um, you know, so there's that whole there's a huge gap missing from my my gaming. Pedigree. Did you play like Fallout One and Two? Uh, I played Fallout One. All right, good, good. That's um, <laughs> Fallout Two. It was looking pretty old by the time I got around to it. Sure. Now I understand. Yeah. Um, so, XCOM. I, oh, that's the other one that I haven't played. I have a okay. copy on Steam. I have never played it. Oh yeah, XCOM. XCOM's a good one. Yeah. But it seems like the, the game that would just be perfect for me. Um, oh yeah. Because I like like Jean d'Arc on the PSP. I thought was fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah. So the other squad-based tactics games. Yeah, I love them. <laughs> yeah, you you really do. <laughs> so speaking of games of the week, what is yours? Okay, mine is a uh, Red Dead Redemption. Oh, um, hey, all right. Well, Tom had his little let's clear some achievements uh, gaming night a few weeks ago. Yeah. So I had had it sitting on the shelf in the massive backlog that is sort of stereotypical for a QuickTime 3 user. Um, and had had played maybe 20 minutes of it uh, before we did yeah. the multiplayer. But, you know, we, we went through a couple of misadventures. Um, and I was just like, oh, this game, the, you know, the environment's are so great in that game. Oh, they're awesome. Um, and the lighting, and it, it really feels like being out west. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, when Tom did that, uh, I had lent my copy to a friend, um, and I was like, oh, man. So, like, I couldn't play with everybody, but um, I got it back, and uh, it had been a while since I played it, and I needed to do, you know, I needed to play more Undead Nightmare. I hadn't done much of it. And, uh, yeah, I just put it in just... Just, like, trotting along on your horse, like, looking at the sunset out in the field. Oh, yeah. It's just, the game is just amazing. Look. Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, and not only, you know, you've got the day, the day-night cycle, and you've got, you know, this beautiful, and, you know, I'm not even sure if it's accurate, like, if, if it counts days for moon phases, but, you know, you'll have a crescent moon with Earth sign, and then you'll have the full moon on different nights. I've definitely noticed that. I haven't noticed if it's actually a sequence. Yeah, um, I wouldn't but, doubt it. <laughs> yeah, and then but then you've got that crystal clear sky, um, and it it really it captures the the romance of a western just so so well. It really does. And then you start playing the game, and in so, it is just crippled in so many ways. That it's just <laughs> this, this dichotomy of having you know it, some of it is so fantastic, and then some of it is just. You know, oh, some of it's bad. Yeah, there's no <laughs> doubt about that. There, it's it's really uneven, and uh, I, I don't know. There were parts that I felt like were re- really dragged, but um, overall, it's like it's a great experience just for the wandering. You know? Yes, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a really fantastic you know experience, and um, but you know, just a couple things have totally bothered me. Like, uh, there's there was one mission. Uh, early on on the, the Texas stuff, and uh, I guess it was with the marshal, and we needed to. There was a 
gang of bandits who had kidnapped some women or invaded a, a homestead or something. Um, and one woman was being held by one of the bad guys, you know, and he had the gun to her head. Yeah. And it took me like 10 missions, 10 restarts to actually get the dead eye working right and pulling the pistol out and aiming at him and shooting him before he got her, you know, cause either the first time I didn't know what was happening. So it was like, Oh, right. I'm supposed to use dead eye here. And the second time I went through and like, I tried to hit the dead eye button, but I hadn't drawn my pistol yet. So that didn't work. So boom, he shoots her and you have to start it. And of course it's a rockstar game. So it's badly checkpointed. Oh God. Um, and God awful. Yeah. So you have to go through, you have to shoot all the guys before you can get to this one scene again. Um, and then like I pulled my pistol, but I was on the wrong side of, you know, the, there was the door frame, but I was a little bit to the left of where I was supposed to be. So my aiming point didn't actually show up. So again, she got shot and just again and again and again. It's just like, I don't understand how that sort of thing makes it through playtesting. No, that's, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because my friend, uh, Vogel and I uh, actually talk about that point in Rockstar games often is that, they, they don't handle, like, being inside a building very well. It's like yeah. you pull out a gun and you can't shoot or you, like, walk into a wall or your dude just, like, starts running in a circle. I mean, you can't just, like, yeah. point the gun at somebody and shoot. It's like right. a whole production. So, like, yeah, every building is just awkward in Rockstar games. I, I don't understand it, but you're you're 100% right. It's, yeah, it's, and I don't understand. It's, it's one of the mandatory short story missions. So, you oh, know, yeah. everybody who's ever played this game to get and and it was early you know maybe 10 percent in 20 percent of the way in um you know everybody who plays the game has to has to go through this oh yeah and i can't uh, i mean maybe i am the idiot um but (laughs) i don't think i'm the only person who has this issue with that one mission um i can't imagine i mean i'm sure there's tons of them like that (laughs) yeah um and then some of the other things that bother me i basically hate all the male characters in the game you know, I guess Bonnie's dad is fine. Yeah. Um, and the female characters are great. Um, yeah, Bonnie's pretty cool. Yeah. I but, like John Marston himself. Marston seems pretty cool, but I mean, there's that sort of this is everybody who who talks about Red Dead Red Dead Red Dead Redemption mentions this that he's supposedly the honorable outlaw. Sure. But then he's like throwing Molotov cocktails into peasants' homes and has no issue. He says he has an issue with it, but he obviously doesn't have an issue with it because he oh, did no. it <laughs> with with no assurance of that he was going to get his bad guys or anything. He's just like, oh yeah, lobbing them in there. And I mean, fortunately, they didn't have like the screams of the people being incinerated inside. But you know, he's he's definitely a psychopathic killer. Well, he's um, he's in the gray area. We'll say that. Well. <laughs> I think that they were trying to make him in the gray area, but it's really he's either sort of a knight in shining armor or a blood-soaked maniac. You know, and they're really – he's not in that middle ground. Well, that's the problem with Rockstar games is uh, it's really hard to make a good guy character in a game where you can just kill everyone. <laughs> But I think you, I think you could. I don't. Oh sure, yeah. No, I mean, I think CJ was a good guy from you know a lot of whatever uh, San, Andreas. San Andreas. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm. I got partway through that, but was playing on my PC and the controls just. Oh no! They're right. oh god. San Andreas um, was killed by those stupid remote control car missions for me. But it was the plane mission. Or the yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, like the, either the flying or the, the RC crap. Both were just god awful. Yeah, I think I made it through the RC crap and then realized or read later that it what they those weren't mandatory. No, uh, no. 
did make me mad, but I think the plane missions were. And then I got, uh, I finally James got Wood. stopped by the, the bad checkpointing, where I was getting killed in a, st- and the, the inside shooting, I was getting killed in a stairwell, but I needed to do like five minutes of driving to even get to the building. Yeah. You know, when the third or the fourth time I had to try it, I was just like, no, forget it. Um, oh, yeah, no, I, I know that feeling. God, Jesus. But the whole, um, you know, 90s gangster thing i thought worked really well um oh, it's, it's great for like that's for what they do that's like the perfect setting for it you know? yeah um and i've seen a little bit of vice city never really played it but again you know that's the thing where it's the, the perfect setting for them you know man oh, those, those guys really nail that stuff they have a really good writing department really good uh <sighs> really great set designers on yeah well <laughs> so sold on their writers some of okay some of their writers like they, they've had some really good stuff it's it's but it is really kind of up and down there's no doubt you could tell that the games are not written by one guy <laughs> that's true that's true. Yeah. yeah and speaking of really suspect writing one of the characters that really struck me as being just so unnecessary is the gay scarface character in Red Dead Redemption, um, I don't know if you're talking, if you know who I'm talking about, but the, um, when you first get to Mexico, there is the the right hand man of the colonel or the captain or whatever. Oh God, yes, that dude. I remember that guy. You know, and he's doing the Scarface thing with you when you're trying to get in. You know, first talking to him. Yeah. Um, and then you're sitting down at a table, and the gay waiter comes. You know, the very feminine waiter. Yeah. And it's just this. It, it doesn't fit at all. And I guess they're trying to be, they're trying to make quirky characters or something. But it, to me, it just completely fell flat. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that game has some, like, really bizarre characters. Um, but yeah, no, I, absolutely, I understand. Like, it, that's the thing with Rockstar games. In fact, to be honest with you, a large portion of Mexico does not need to be in that game. It's just, it really drags it out. And it's probably the most tedious area to me. Yeah, I'm I'm not all the way through Mexico yet, so I I haven't hit the end game. I do know that there is a major plot point. I know what it is because um, I read Brainy Gaber and he totally gave it away like two weeks <laughs> after the game came out. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I've heard references to it, but you know I'm one of those people who usually come to games long after they got released. Uh, well, yeah, it's sometimes hard to avoid spoilers on that. Um, yep. No, it's like I really like uh, the area you start in, and I really like the area up north with like the Indians and everything. And that's yeah, really I haven't cool. made that yet. So yeah, I that's like that's where you'll go after. Um, I believe I can't remember though. It's been a really long time. It, it's really neat, and uh, it, I like all that. But just the whole Mexico part is just so long and so. Just I don't know. It's it is easily the most uh, morally uh, <laughs> tumultuous area of the game. I would think. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm done with the Mexican army, as far as I know. I, yeah. I, they tried to kill me, and now I've kicked me out. Um, yeah. Speaking of spoilers. Yeah. Uh, I, you know it was coming. It's not like it was hard to predict. Uh, uh, no. The yeah. No. So I, I'm now fully on with the, on board with the rebels, and again the the rebel leader who I hate. Who is, you know, like, oh, you know, which girlfriend was that? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, he's, God, yeah, they're, yeah, they're really bizarre 
character choices. Yeah. The other, I guess, sort of strange thing I'm doing with Red Dead Redemption is I, I'm sort of focusing on the story missions, and maybe that's partly because people said, oh, Mexico drags so long, so I want to sort of get through it. Yeah, um, I do that too, though. But I feel like I'm sort of, it's an op- it's supposed to be an open world game, so I'm supposed to be doing all the, the other stuff, but most of the mini games just, they don't seem interesting to me. No, I mean, most of them aren't. Uh, you know, like, I kind of liked, like, Liar's Dice, and, and some of the gambling ones were like, okay, uh, I mean, you know, Horseshoes, whatever. You know? Uh, maybe, oh, you don't, you said Horseshoes isn't very good? Uh, I haven't tried that one yet. It's okay, but it, it's kind of, you know, it's just kind of a one-trick pony. You just right. have to figure out how to tilt the uh, the joystick, or the uh, stick in the correct way, and then push it forward, or whatever, and hey. Right. So, uh, yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, I did yeah. not like the breaking a horse um, where no. you used to have to balance. No, that's a huge pain in the ass. Yeah. Balancing in any game is a pain in the ass. It just, if developers are listening, don't put balancing in your game. Unless they give us a, a Wii Fit board. Then right. They're... Yeah, but I don't know. See, <laughs> I played that Tony Hawk game, and good God. Uh, well, I have heard, I you know I've seen them on sale for like twenty bucks. Oh, and I'm sure. I am a habitual buyer of alternative input devices, but just the reviews were so bad that oh. I didn't. I have never picked one up. It was awful. It was just a terrible experience. It was just there's I, I can't understand what they were even trying to do. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, Red Dead Redemption definitely has its ups and downs. I, I, I overall like the arc of the story, but yeah, Mexico is just kind of a blah um, area. Yeah, I kind of like the Stranger missions too. That those are at least a sort of nice yeah distraction. Uh, you know, and the great thing is, of course, once you like finish the game, you can just wander the world and do your side missions, which is what I do a lot of the time. What I'm doing in Batman. Okay. Oh, I didn't realize that you could do them after you had finished. Oh yeah, yeah. You get cool. to set whole rock star. You can do whatever you want. Kind of wander around I've thing. Never finished a Rockstar game, so I've. Oh. I was kind of thinking it might be like Fallout, where Fallout Three, which I, I didn't finish either, but I heard. Oh yeah. You, you hit the end, and that's it. That was goofy. Yeah, you know the thing about that though is like they released uh, an expansion pack that took that out. So that you could, like, beat the game and keep playing. So thank God for that. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, well. Uh, but, yeah, no, um, it's certainly, you can still wander the, the wilderness. And, you know, you can also, you know, one of the coolest things to me, I, I really like free roam. I thought that was just, like, such a great concept, you know? The whole uh, multiplayer in... free roam, you know? You just, oh, like, right. load up the map and do whatever. Yeah, as I said, I'm terrified of multiplayer. So now, if you do that with friends, it's great. Like my problem is every time I jump into a free room, it's public. It's just like I get immediately murdered over and over again. So I mean, there's that. But um, it's it's a really great concept. I like the idea of those strongholds and everything. Which you you guys did some of those, didn't you? Like the strongholds. You know, by the time I I got in right when we were supposed to, you know, so like I I wasn't early at all, and I we just did. It was basically co-op missions. I have not done those. Um, yeah, so it was really cool because what we did is like um, – it actually felt a lot like the story missions, but you're doing it with a group of people instead of by yourself, and, and there isn't a coherent narrative. Right. So we would like raid a bandit camp 
and we had to invade a mine um, that was filled with uh, yeah, hostile miners for some reason. Those jerks. Um, yes, you know, throwing dynamite at you. Um, I hate those guys. And, you know, sort of the best combat was we had to um, sack a town, essentially, Yeah. and the bad guys had artillery. And once you <laughs> overran the artillery position, you could use it. That's so, you know, I'm sitting there cowering because the, I think the first time through we just got slaughtered by the, the cannons. Yeah. Um, so I'm cowering and, and, you know, the our explosions, the shells are raining down around me until, you know, somebody starts laughing and admits that he's now on one of these cannons. And <laughs> you see you see the little red dots of the bad guys just wink out one at a time as he's <laughs> blasting them. You know, from across the map. Oh yes, and that was just that was just a glorious turning of the tables. Yeah, that game uh, is really fun. <laughs> it was it was it was a, a really good experience actually. And of course, Tom is so nice, you know, and and was patient with those of us who had didn't really know how to play at all. Um, and, he tried and, to stab me once. He's not ooh. that nice. Oh, no, well. I'm, just, I'm just he stabbed me with love. That sounds awful. Oh, that's <laughs> strike that from the record. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> so, yeah, the, there was one other really fun part. Oh, um, actually, it seemed like the AI was pretty decent in the multiplayer as well. Um, at one point, it's, it seemed like they bad. were flanking us. You know, we had set up on top of a, a, a canyon rim, basically, and we're shooting down into the camp, and the bandits seemed to be coming up the road behind where everybody was and, and wiped everybody out. So that was a good experience. Yeah, that, yeah I really liked those uh, those multiplayer things. I did a bunch of them right when the game came out. Not the co-op missions, but they have strongholds, which is just, you know, full of dudes, and you mm-hmm. run up on them and blah, blah, blah. And Yeah, yeah, they're a lot of fun. But those guys are good at headshots, the AI. Mm-hmm. I got murdered quite a few times as well. Did you have somebody come rescue you, or did you have to... Oh, no, I just, I just died. Okay. No one likes me that much. <laughs> well, that's too bad. I, it's, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very lonely. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no. Well, you know, um, I guess that's our show for this week. Um, thanks for joining us, uh, Rob, and thank you for telling us about your wonderful position at NASA. That, I mean, I really like your, uh, I really like the photography I've seen so far and the design. Um, what was the uh, site name again for everybody? Oh, it's earthobservatory.nasa.gov. So all one word. Um, if you do a search on Google, we're in the first page of results somewhere, just Earth. Um, yes. Like underneath Google Earth and another entry for Google Earth and... Uh, a few other similar things. I think we're like seven or eight. And yeah, I do Google our site periodically to make sure that we're still out there. Well, sure. Yeah, yeah of course. I Google my name quite often to make sure that I'm not on the first page. I've been replaced by the 90s metal guitarist and singer, Jason McMaster. So. Oh. Uh, uh, dangerous Toys. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't know him either. I, I Actually, what's funny is I worked for uh, Sarah Lee once. And, um, Sarah Lee, Frozen Baked Goods. 
Yes, yes, nobody doesn't like Sara Lee, which I think is the absolute worst slogan in the entire world. Because, you know, when I originally heard it, I thought nobody does it like Sara Lee. I thought, hey, they're incomparable. But, you know, it's no, nobody doesn't like. So it's like this bizarre, absolutely terrible English. But, um, yeah, one of the guys uh, I worked with there, uh, I introduced myself, and he's like, oh, wow, you mean like the singer from Dangerous Toys? And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Like the one guy. Uh, yeah, but, I've never heard of them. No, well, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe they're pretty good. I, I have no idea. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us, Rob. And uh, as always, please uh, feel free to email TomWChick at gmail.com or jchristmas, that's me, at gmail.com if you would like to be a guest on the show. And... As always, we'll see you next week.